0: the world of sonic the hedgehog a new hero arrives i am ready is there anyone stronger no tougher no funnier i do not make jokes i make warriors knuckles now streaming only on paramount plus yes cbs wednesday
1: we have so many cool diverse people from different backgrounds different beliefs different upbringings and it just keeps growing
2: I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund, post San Antonio Alamo Bowl. We haven't had a podcast in a while, so it's time to catch up with some things that have just been going on. A couple guys coming back, some other people leaving the program. Basketball team in a slump, but had a nice win last night. But, uh, guys, I think the headline news, i you know, we'd heard a few rumors about Sam Heward possibly leaving I actually didn't think it would happen, but uh, he left surprised at all, Scott.
1: Uh, yeah, I did. I did. It did catch me a little on, off surprise. I thought we might get to see uh, where he was at in spring, and then he'd try and take off after that. But, you know, I mean, I guess you just got to think about, <clears throat> you know, where, where do things stand? His, his thing was if I could have challenged for playing time as the, the starter this year, I. Um, I probably would have stayed, but I'm not going to be able to challenge for the starting job this year because it's Mike's team, and I I just think it's better for me to to leave and, and look for an opportunity. I just think he's doing it a little late because a lot of schools that might have come after him are are not options for him because they've gone out and found themselves a, a transfer quarterback.
2: And a lot of people saying, you know, Sam's a competitor. He wants to play, and a lot of people saying, well, if he's a competitor, he would have stayed and competed, but – Chris, I don't think it matters. It wouldn't have mattered if what kind of a spring he had. It wouldn't matter. He is not going to be the starting quarterback next year. He wouldn't have been if he stayed. It wouldn't have mattered.
0: Right, and neither is Dylan Morris. So, um, you know, that's just the simple fact of the case. And it's been a long time since, you know, you have to go back to Jake Browning when when you went through a spring where the pecking order was pretty clear, right, right at the very very top. But you know, bottom line is, yeah, he came to play football, and when you go through a season where you set you set school records in passing, you know, I think they threw for forty, what was it, about forty eight hundred yards, something like that, and he accounted for twenty four of those yards. Yeah, that's that's gonna you know, be pretty telling in terms of where you are in the becking order and what your future may hold considering the leading passer is coming back for one more season. But, you know, the biggest story to me, Kim, obviously, is that him being a legacy guy with his father playing at Washington, his uncle playing at Washington, every, every everything in his family is all about Washington. It was his dream to put on the purple and gold and being a quarterback when he has to decide that he needs to go in the portal for playing time. Yes, it's it's bad timing because of Michael Penix being at Washington. But when that guy makes that decision, that tells you that we're in a whole different realm in terms of, of where people are going with the one-time transfer rule and all the other stuff that goes on. Because quarterbacks now, at the Power Five level, guys, it, they got to make a decision almost every year now where they stand, where they could go to maybe have a better chance to further their, their career. It's kind of crazy right now where we're at.
2: Yeah, and talking to Sam, and you know, I, I don't claim to know Sam real well, but you know, I, I can have conversations with Sam, and I've talked to him off the record, off the field, and he got four games this, excuse me, three games this high school year. He got one game last year, <clears throat> excuse me, the previous year, and just a, a not a good situation going in against Washington State. He didn't play very much this year. So that if he was back next year, that would be the fourth year where he hasn't played significant football. And when you're a competitor and you're not playing and some people say, well, get better. It doesn't matter if he gets better. He's not going to jump. Michael panics. He wants to play, you know, and just my conversations with him just off the record. I can tell you right now, this hurts. He hurts. I mean, this is a real hard deal for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes somewhere and blows up and we may see him back for his fifth year. That could possibly happen. Um, The thing that kind of jumps out at me, Chris, is both of us have been doing this a long time. We've had people that have made decisions to leave and they don't want to talk about it. They just want to go. Sam Hewer texts each and every one of us in the media and scheduled to said, I'm more than willing to talk about this and did a Zoom call. He stood up to it. He faced the music. And when was the last time anybody did that, Chris?
0: No, it's, he's a very unique kid. There's no doubt about it. And and yeah, I mean, I don't know what you mean by stand up and face the music. There was really no music to face other than the fact that he wanted to make sure that his thoughts on, on the process and why he made the choice that he did. Went out there and had his name on it. He was saying the reasons why. And he was very upfront in terms of making, in terms of how hard the decision was, as you've stated, but also how he's kind of going into this with both eyes open because he hasn't been, he didn't do any sort of due diligence behind the scenes. He hasn't had his family making calls to other schools and finding out what the situation is at school A, B, and C, so that by the time he actually put his name in the portal, he was already 90% set for school A. Yeah. He This, this will tell you how difficult a decision it was for him, because it kind of came a little bit out of the blue for him. I'm sure he's been thinking about it, but I'm also really, really sure that It was such a dream for him to play at Washington that the idea of not playing for the Huskies was probably just as foreign to him as it would have been for any of us looking at him from the
2: outside in. And Scott, when we see a lot of guys going to the portal that are names and high-value transfer portal guys... Is it pretty safe to say that most, almost most, know or have an idea of where they're going to go? Because this is what I think makes the situation a little unique. Before this decision was made, Sam had no clue, none, zero zip. But most of these guys have a pretty clear idea.
1: I don't know if. A lot. I think you might be overstating it just a little bit. I don't think all of them know where they're going, but I think a lot of them have a good idea of the four or five schools that right. that are interested in them and that that are they're interested in possibly going to. So, um, yeah, I mean th- that is what it is. I mean, I I I'm sorry. I have a little bit of a hard time. I I my guess is they probably at least put some feelers out, uh, before he made the announcement, but this is something he, that's been weighing on his mind, pretty obvious. So, um, I think a lot for him is just going to be, um, finding the right spot. And I, I hope there's a spot for him because I think he's a good kid. I think he's a good football player and, and I'd really like to see him get a shot and see what he could do. And, um, you know, there's some quarterbacks that I've seen on other teams that have been starters. And I've been like, Sam Hewitt, Dylan Morris could both be starting for those teams. So, um, there's, there is going to be a spot for him. I just don't know if it's going to be in Power Five. He might be better off looking at a group of five school where he could walk in and, and be better than the guys that are already there.
2: Do you think Cal Poly is where he winds up or not with his high school coach taking I, over as the offensive coordinator, Paul Wolf, the head coach?
1: I, I think that's always an op, uh, uh, possibility. But my, my question with that is, um, is you know is he willing to go down essentially two levels of competition and i know it's only one because uh F- it's fcs instead of still in the fbs but i mean realistically there's power five there's group of five and then there's fcs and um i mean would it surprise me if he wound up at uh eastern washington no would it w- surprise me if he ended up at portland state or at Or at Cal Poly, no, none of those would surprise me, but I think he's going to look for an FBS school first and that Cal Poly or another FCS school would be his second or third option down the road.
2: And, Chris, what I think is interesting, too, is a lot of guys, if it was my son, your son or Scott's son, we would be handling it a little bit different than Sam Hewitt. Because Sam Hewitt's got a lot of connections to uh, to lean on with uh, Brock, with Damon and even guys like Dan Marino and uh, even Matt Hasselbeck. So there's a they have a lot of um Networking capabilities to find a good spot and it's not just about the football program it would be about an offense that would fit him real well too so that i think that's what makes it interesting is i think that they'll be a couple steps ahead of most transfers in knowing what would be a good fit for him
0: i think that's true if they're all starting from scratch there's no doubt about that and i think that's where from again from the outside looking in it feels like this is why uh, Sam was so torn on the decision because typically when, when you see that a, a player has officially entered the transfer portal, if they've done some work behind the scenes or if there have been people kind of making calls and those types of things, you'll see from the, from the reputable outlets within an hour or two, they'll already be kind of quote-unquote whispers that this person that has just put their name in the portal is looking to probably end up at school a or school b those kind of rumors and those kind of you know i guess crystal ball since we're a 24-7 school you know that, that those types of things usually happen within a few hours of that announcement happening the fact that you haven't seen that at all with sam Heward, especially right after the announcement will tell you that this was not necessarily done with any sort of ulterior motive on the inside. He's definitely really starting to look, like right now, at what his options are. And the Cal Poly option is obviously there with Coach Cross. But again, there haven't even really been any concrete links to that, just the natural association between Cross and Heward. So, you know, is that a place where Junior Alexander ends up, for instance? Who knows, because there's obviously the connection there. Um, There's a lot of things that have to go on. But again, with that idea that, you know, his uncle's in, in, in the media, obviously his dad is very, very well-known, pro fo- ex-pro football player. They've got a lot of ties. They can talk to a lot of different people. So I don't think it's going to be a problem for Sam right. to find a place. I just, I think it's telling that that kind of stuff really hasn't come out yet.
2: Yeah, what's also just a side note, Sam is still in school at Washington. So he's still in school. Um, And I think that, keep in mind, I don't know if you saw this or not, Chris, but the NCA is trying to uh, pass legislation where um, you can only get one transfer, Um, even even with a waiver. You're not going to be able to get a waiver as easily. Uh, So we'll see where that goes. But with Sam still in school, I'm pretty sure the idea for him is to um, graduate in a timely fashion. So the grad transferring down the road is an option because even if the one-time transfer thing does go through, which is supposedly true now, they're just going to tighten it up. Um, the grad transfer is uh, a different – you can do it twice, once with the transfer and one with the grad transfer. So I think he's on track for that.
0: Yeah, it's a, and it's a slippery slope, right? So they say, oh, well, you can only transfer once. Okay, well, you get the free transfer. Oh, oh, that's right. Then you get the grad transfer. Okay, well, what happens if you have, like – multiple injuries or something you want to get closer to home or things like, there are all these situations that they're going to have to, you know, all of a sudden it's going to end up being a case by case basis, just like it always is. And it's just, I don't
2: know. I don't know. They're trying to tighten it. it. Bottom line is they're trying to tighten it up right
0: now. And I don't know why they need to tighten it up. The, 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 the cow's out of the barn, boys. You're not
2: going to bring it back in. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you why they need to tighten it up. What, what What is everything all about? At the end of the day, what's everything still all about? It's
0: all about money, but the bottom it, line is the money's already out there. Un- unless they decide to literally legislate those types of things and make it, like, federal, yeah. n- you're, you're, you're still talking Wild West no matter what happens, because it was always the Wild West even before NIL.
2: Yeah, so it's to just me more,
0: that it's just this—it's like a distinction without a difference.
2: Yeah, and you know when we're talking about guys entering the portal, Washington's got a, a bunch of guys that have entered the portal. But before I get that, I saw one yesterday—a couple of them actually yesterday, Scott. That kind of surprised me. Omar Spates, the linebacker from Oregon State, who's just a tackling machine, entered the portal as well as Kyle Ford, the athlete down at USC. Uh, either, do you think Washington's in on either of those guys? No, no, I don't.
1: Uh, I everybody thinks Omar Spate's headed to Alabama and, um, you know, if he's going to he's from the East Coast, right? He's from like the Philadelphia area or something Some, like that,
2: something like that. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I mean, there's no reason for him to stay out here on the West Coast. And, you know, if if he's going to leave Oregon State, Oregon State is a plum spot for him. He can go there. He's he's established himself as a leader on that defense. They're an up-and-coming program. There's absolutely no reason for him to leave that program and go to another West Coast program. I think the school that, that he would look at is Alabama. That's where most people think he's headed, possibly to, a, to another SEC school. But Alabama is where I've heard his landing spot is. And Kyle Ford, eh, you know, eh, whatever. You know, he's been, I, he's been hurt. Yeah, bit, he, he's just he? he's been hurt so much. He's transferred several times. I just
2: eh, I, it's just he just seemed one of those typical L.A. guys that's just listening to a lot of voices on well, what to do. I,
1: yeah, I mean, granted at this point what is he 5 years removed so he's he's 22, 23 years old. So he's he's old enough to be his own man at this point, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these kids just get so many people in their heads, hey, you can play at a higher level, go play here and <clears throat> then they go and they realize that the grass isn't greener and so they get kind of stuck. And and this guy this is a guy who I loved him. I mean, it was him and who's the other guy who ended up at uh USC and then Texas and then back at Bruce, USC Bruce McCoy. Yeah. Brew McCoy. He and Bru McCoy were the two kind of big time wide receivers out of the West that year. And I liked Kyle Ford better than I liked Bru McCoy. I thought Bru McCoy was a much better defensive guy than offensive guy, but, uh, Kyle Ford, man, he looked awesome. And then he blows out his knee a senior year. Um, and then I think he's blown out maybe not the same knee, but I think he's had another knee injury, uh, during that time. So it, it's, it's been a real struggle for him to stay healthy, and he he's never realized his full potential because he was a 1,500 yard, 20 touchdown receiver. Uh, and you know, it, if he had stayed healthy, he's that kind of uh, talent. But he's just he's a shell of the guy that I saw. He's still a good player. He's just not. Anything that I think Washington really needs, especially with a loaded uh, lo- wide receiver room this year. I was going to
0: say, where 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 would he fit with the numbers yeah, they are?
1: Would they try to make him into maybe a smaller tight end? Uh, I would make him into an outside linebacker. <laughs> you know, I I just I don't think he's a, be guy, a little late in his career. Oh, now. absolutely late in his career. I'm just saying, I I just don't think he uh, he's not better. He'd be
0: fifth on the depth chart at best at the University of Washington. Yeah, if they if they could convince him to switch to defense. That's that's a that's a physical player, an athlete that would do really really well. But yeah, for a guy. But is his like heart in years, it? I don't know. Is he, he four weird. years into his career? Five years into. I think his it's. I career? think
1: he's actually at year. It might even be year six because yeah, he had the he he had the year of uh, COVID.
2: So. He's got one more guy. I lied to you. One more guy I want to ask you about is a guy that you loved out of high school, and Washington's been mentioned for him is Gary Bryant, the wide receiver out of. Uh, uh, UC, USC,
1: USC. Yeah. Um, I loved him. Yeah. Great looking slot guy. Um, and would fill a role here. Um, but he'd have to be willing to be the fifth best in the room right now. <clears throat> and I just don't think he's that guy. Greg Biggins has already put it out there that he wants to find a spot where he'd be the guy at wide receiver and Washington isn't that place. Cause you got Romo Dunsey, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk, and Jeremy Bernard and Taj Davis. And, uh Josh Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, you've yeah. got six guys <clears throat> who could be ahead of him before he ever even sees the field. And and I just I have a hard time seeing him choose Washington. Right now, Texas AM and Miami are the two schools that he's looking at visiting. But Washington has reached out to him. I just think they're gonna have a hard time convincing him. But you know what? Uh Jamarcus Shepard has done a really good job with wide receivers his size. So I think that that might be one of the selling points for the Huskies. I just have a hard time believing he's going to come here.
2: He's Giles Jackson, isn't
1: he? He's a faster, probably better version of Giles Jackson, yes.
2: Okay, that's what I was thinking.
1: The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network.
2: Uh, when you talk a little bit about the guys from Washington who've entered the transfer portal, Chris, uh, you know, just right off the top, Junior Alexander, surprise there?
0: Um, I suppose a little bit just because he literally just transferred from Arizona State. So, I, you know, especially when you come home, you think this is a place where you'd like to try to see it and make it stick. But, again, we're talking about guys like Kyle Ford and Gary Bryant coming from SC and thinking about them. There, There's a guy already on the team that – probably looked at the numbers and said the writings on the wall. I there's no way I can even get past the guys that are in front of me, so I'm gonna go try to apply my wares elsewhere. So yeah, I mean it you know, the guy if the guys on the team, if there are guys on the team that can't even or at least think they can't even get past that first five or six uh, group you know there's certainly no hope for anybody else on the outside
2: and scott junior alexander had the reputation of being a physical receiver who could catch the ball in traffic absolutely phenomenal kid a uh, great leader but just didn't run very well yeah he wasn't
1: the fastest guy it wasn't going to be a guy who could stretch the field for you and and he was more of a possession guy and uh, teams can always use someone like him but they've got jalen polk for that and he's even a guy who can get deep every now and then but he and Taj davis kind of fill that role and and I don't see Junior Alexander breaking through. And with what Washington's recruiting, Denzel Boston was already on the roster. Rashid Williams is basically a clone of Romo Dunsey to me. Um, and and then you've got the possibility of adding Tayshawn Lyons here in a couple weeks. You know, I I think Washington's going to be in a great situation at wide receiver as long as Jamarcus Shepard is here, and as long as this offense continues to be as productive as it is, I don't think Washington will have any trouble finding really good receivers to plug
2: into the system. And Chris, we uh, also lost to the transfer portal our our favorite favorite interview, Quao in Pehopa, but we all pretty much saw that coming.
0: Yeah, ever since he got uh, kind of dinged and 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 for for the. Whatever violation of team rules, whatever the, whatever that was, uh, it seemed like the writing was on the wall for him. And I'm actually very very happy for him that he was able to go home and uh, find a spot at the University of Hawaii because he'll he'll do I think he'll do a great job there. I mean I thought the sky was the limit for him, both him and Voytanufi coming in together as two freshmen. They they really they kind of really uh, splashed a little bit in my opinion that first year. And then this last year, it looked like, you know, he had a chance to really make the next step up and unfortunately kind of stepped on him, stepped on his own toes and, and got in his own way. So I, I really hope the, the, the best for Quile. I mean, I remember meeting him as a junior in high school during the Polynesian Bowl and uh, even had him uh, – I had him take a picture with him throwing the dubs because he was talking about Washington so much in that very, very first interview. And I was like, wow, I mean, clearly this is a guy that had been thinking about – even while he was in high school and, and didn't uh, didn't take long to make a commitment, maybe about six months after that. So um, disappointed about the situation and how how it worked out, but i glad he was able to find a spot at Hawaii. Well, the other thing is, too, When are the, when is their
1: uh, stadium supposed to be done there?
0: Well, I know it's still being done, so I think they're still playing on campus at Manoa. So I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know how long that's going to take.
1: But he's got a good chance to play his junior and senior year there. Yeah. He, I mean, he's I would, only going
0: to be a sophomore next year, right? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, he's yeah. he's got some time. He's got some time.
2: And, and Scott, the next guy I want to talk about is a guy that came in pretty highly touted, and Daniel Hemuli uh, never really flashed at Washington. He seemed like a guy who showed up uh, that was a little undersized, that they expected to get bigger and never got bigger
1: never got bigger and also, uh, struggled to really pick up the system. I mean, if he, if he was able to go out there and hit at 215 pounds, 220 pounds, I think he could have done it. But the coaches said he just struggled at at times to pick up things and he was slowly doing it. But, um, I think he's a guy who could end up dropping down to FCS or even, you know, maybe like a San Jose state or, a or a school like that, maybe UNLV, something like that, and and he could find success there. But at, at this level, there's just no way, and with the linebacker prospects Washington's bringing in, I mean, if you think about it, uh, uh, Devin Bryant is a guy who is kind of in the same mold as Daniel Haymouli. So is he going to be able to put on the size? And I think that's a, a big question. Uh, Jordan Whitney's another guy who isn't the biggest guy in the world. He's built a little bit bigger than Hey is, but not much. And so Washington's bringing in those guys. And, but those are ones that they recruited. Daniel Hey was a guy they didn't recruit, um, you know, back in the day. So I think he just felt like a change of scenery was going to be better for him. And, and it was better for him to move on and find another opportunity. And speaking
0: and Scott, of the, speaking of the uh, Polynesian bowl guys. I remember the time when Washington had gotten commitments from back-to-back Polynesian Bowl uh, defensive MVP game MVPs, in Daniel and Daniel Hamuli and Mekhi Pay, and now neither one of them are on the roster anymore. Uh,
2: uh, Scott, another guy who just recently entered the portal, uh, J, JV on Sunday, going uh, back the Texas, the running back.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There was. There was some stuff that went on uh, behind the scenes that uh, we're just not going to talk about, but uh, his 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 uh, transfer was signed, sealed, and delivered probably uh, right after the season completed, before the bowl game. Yeah, so,
2: when you are yeah. the when you're not getting a lot of playing time, your uh, margin for error is slight. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, he doesn't
1: he have a child down in Texas. He does, and that was that child was actually born before or. Uh, I think he was born right after he got here in 2020. So that child is now going to be three this year.
2: Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, Chris was Zachary Spears. It just looked like he was kind of buried in the, in the depth chart. Yeah, it seemed like it because he
0: was a guy that came in and he, boy, physically he sure fit the bill. It looked like to me and he looked like he could be that next kind of Kyler Gordon style, uh, physical guy that you could put on an edge, put in a, uh, put on an Island, but you know when juice brown came here i mean it just you know guys sometimes have their favorites and he just never seemed to to kind of get along with all that and so i'm glad that spears has ended up uh he's still a husky <laughs> he's at the uh, university of connecticut now with uh jim mora so that's an interesting uh move and i hope it works out for him uh, always a, a really good kid like talking to him but um unfortunately sometimes when you have those coaching changes and you have different styles of play and, and reasons why you get recruited he, I think he was clearly more of a of a guy that the previous staff liked in, in their zone coverages and and things like that but a guy that they felt could develop eventually into that shutdown type corner and, and I guess coach Brown never saw that
2: another guy it was kind of surprising I don't under it's kind of strange that he started a lot and played a lot but Vic Kern uh, entered the transfer portal as well. I thought he might be a candidate to be the starter at right guard if he had stayed.
1: Yeah, I did, too. Um, I think part of it was to get home closer to his family. I think part of it also was just he saw some of the guys that are coming up. I I think basically he was going to battle it out with Garen Hatchet um, for the starting spot at uh, right guard. And I just think that he felt like Washington wasn't going to be the place that he could finish his career. So he's going to go back closer to home. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up at Houston. Uh, University of Houston or UTSA or North Texas or something like that. So he's closer to home, maybe Tulane, if if they need if they need some help along that offensive line. And um, whoever's getting him is getting a – what is he, a three-year – no, two-year starter. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, it, you can't really beat a guy – he didn't get in trouble. He didn't have any issues. He was good in school. There's no reason – why he left other than he wanted to look for a new opportunity and and so a school that he decides to transfer to is going to get a guy with a lot of experience and um a lot of maturity that he's going to be able to bring in and be a leader uh wherever he winds up i like vic i I thought he was a good kid i actually
2: loved him yeah was he kind
1: of a tweener kind of he he was he's probably athletically a better fit at uh tackle but he just didn't have the length you need out at tackle to fend off guys. He was he was only so so at right tackle. I thought he would have been a much better guard. But part of that part about playing guard is having that physical mentality, and I don't know if Vic had that mentality.
2: Yeah, uh, I wish the best for Vic. Like I said, he's a good kid. Uh, next guy is a guy who I don't know that he saw the field. If he did, it was pretty much in mop up time. And uh, Caden Jumper, I think that he was uh, recruited and brought in to. Fit in the offense that john donovan was running in that power run game but i just don't think he had a position uh under this new coaching staff chris
0: yeah i mean his game as a bigger jumbo athlete was definitely going to be more about power where you could see him in donovan's offense being kind of a swiss army knife and it's not to say he couldn't have done similar stuff at washington because they used the tight end quite a bit obviously as we saw with with ryan grubb so it's not like they didn't use that element of it, but you know, he was never really tall enough and he, he just, he, they didn't really need him as an extra blocker because they already had some competent blockers in some of their guys, their older guys, whether it was a Westover, Devin uh, even Quentin Moore. So it just, yeah, just kind of a, the wrong play, the wrong guy at the wrong place at the wrong time. Unfortunately, he was definitely a guy that was a very specific fit for the, the offense that was run before Grubb got here. And then once he got here, it was like, yeah, we, we just – there probably just isn't a use for him. So it's an unfortunate situation for Caden um, because I'm sure getting a chance to play close to home and things like that was a big reason why he wanted to stay and go to Washington, but just didn't work out.
2: And, Chris, Cam Williams played a lot, decided that uh, earlier this year, even with the shortage – uh, in the secondary, he decided he was going to redshirt, and we pretty much knew then and there that he was going to be gone after the season.
0: Yeah, doing this thing as long as we have, it's pretty easy to see when those kinds of moves are made on the outside where the end game is going to be. And I'm not exactly sure why he decided to make that decision, but usually when you take yourself out of the game like that, especially with a first-year staff that really doesn't play favorites and really doesn't have any favorites from the previous uh, establishment, you're signing your death warrant, essentially, in that situation. You're basically giving up and saying, yeah, I think it's probably going to be best for me to move on. I just don't want to waste a year of eligibility sitting here doing nothing. So when he made that decision... Essentially, all it was was a matter of playing out an ending, which means when was he going to decide where was he going to end up going? Because there was no doubt once he made that decision, he was gone. Uh, My my question to you guys is, were you guys a little surprised that
1: he
2: practiced all year? No. And I'll tell you why. Because they needed bodies for practice. And that was the only reason
1: I get that. But he could have been on scholarship.
0: What did what did he owe them? He, well, I, he may have been in a situation where he may have been that close academically. As far as I know, he could have graduated. Graduating,
2: yeah, yeah. I like I said, I think if they would have had an abundance of players back in the secondary, he probably would have left the team. But when we talked to Coach DeBoer after the bowl game, he talked about how scary it got. You know, the weeks of ASU and UCLA where they just didn't have enough guys to practice with the guys in the secondary. They were really, really short. So I think that was the only reason he stuck around. So surprising, yes, but understand it, yes. Well, and also,
0: it, it, it keeps him in shape. It keeps him in the game somehow, some way, even if it's eventually not the game he's going to be in. But also, at the same time, he's got a chance now to start making some of those inroads that we were talking about, with Sam Hewitt's situation where he he actually now has time because he knows he's not coming back. I mean, he can, he made that decision. He knows exactly what the shot is. And so he can go and make some of those calls or talk to his high school coaches or his parents or people that he knows in his circle and start kind of getting that process started well ahead of someone that's in the situation like Sam Hewitt's found
2: himself. Big big announcement this, uh, what, a couple days ago, uh, worst kept secret in a while, Romo Dunsey returning uh, to the wide receiver room. Scott, this, like you said, this maybe the worst kept secret that we've seen in a while.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when we say worst kept secret, I mean, maybe it didn't really start to leak out. But, I mean, it was pretty obvious that he was coming back. He was already in classes taking classes. And I mean, if if you're a guy who's ready to leave and and decided to leave, you're just waiting to, for your moment to decide that um, you're not in classes. You're getting ready to sign with an agent. You're getting ready to sign with um, a trainer uh, that you can go out and work out with and everything like that. So we all felt he was coming back. He's got nine more months and, and then he's, well, I guess uh, 11 more months and then he's out of here. And and I, I'm excited for him because I, I I really want to see him develop this year. There's there's some things he can still work on. A lot of it's route running, and I think a, another year with uh, Jamarcus Shepard will really help him in that realm. Um, he, you know, he he's a guy who catches most everything that's thrown his way. He's improved quite a bit as a blocker. I I think he's got a lot of things that he can offer an NFL squad. I just don't think this was the year. I think he need one more year of productivity being on that Belitnikov award list, like the preseasonal list and then possibly being a finalist for it next year. Um, you know, Washington's going to going to do everything they can to get him and Jalen a lot of balls thrown their way. And, um, you know, he's a guy that, that he also needs to figure out how to beat double coverage. You know, I mean, that's, that's one thing a top receiver has to deal with is, is, a safety over the top or bracketed coverage whatever you want to call it. And Romo Dunsey got shut out in a couple games. And some people might say, well, Washington didn't target him. Well, part of the reason they didn't target him was because he was double covered and they were going to go to the open guy. But um, this year he needs to be able to beat that because the elite receivers, the guy if you want to get taken in the first round, I don't think Romo Dunsey is a first round guy. I think he's more like a second round guy. But if you want to get push your way into that second into that first round, you got to push yourself all the way up to the point where teams say no matter what other teams try to do against him, he gets open and he makes plays. And I think this year he needs to hit double-digit touchdowns. He needs to show the ability to really stretch the field, which he's done to a certain extent. But Jalen McMillan looked like the deep threat to me this year. And I want to see Romo Dunsey do that on a a more regular basis.
2: Yeah, the only doubts I had was when I would see uh, Rome's dad posting out on uh, Twitter. And uh, his dad's pretty boisterous out on the social media about his kid. Yeah, not going there. You can (laughs) move on.
1: Okay.
2: (laughs) Okay. I say anyway, too much way more often than, than
1: not, Kim, so oh, I'm wow. just going to realize. Wow, wow. I, I threw it
2: out there. I was kind of baiting you, and you didn't take the bait, Scott. Nope, I did not. Wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> You're learning. But uh, Kalen DeBoer, uh, last night's basketball. You sound like my
1: wife, by the way. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wow. You're learning. Good job. Yeah. You'll bite next week. Okay. Anyways, uh, Kalen DeBoer with his daughter last night, Alexis, who's uh, signed to play uh, uh, base softball at Washington, it was at the basketball game last night along with Courtney Morgan. But um, just kind of the thing that's hanging out there, guys, is his, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start with you, Scott. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, is he going to be back at Michigan if he leaves Michigan? You know they're going to call Kalen DeBoer.
1: Yeah, I do. Um but as I stated on our board, I don't see Kalen DeBoer as that guy who always needs to be bumped up every year. I don't I think he really likes this situation here at the University of Washington. I think he likes the fact that his daughter is going to play so- softball at the school that he coaches at and he can watch his daughter for four or five years depending on how long she's here and and um I think if 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 she was at the end of her College career, maybe Washington has a little bit more to worry about. I don't. I don't think Washington is is stupid in thinking they don't have to continue to stay competitive for him. But I don't think he's a guy. And once again, I I could be completely off on this, but everything I've gathered from Kalen DeBoer is that he's not an ego guy from the standpoint where I've got to be the top paid co- uh, you know coach in the country. I want to be compensated fairly and I want my guys taken care of, meaning his assistant coaches. And I want the support from the university, and I think he knows he's got all that at the University of Washington.
2: But Scott, I know you love it here, and I know you love working with me and Chris, right? But if the Oregon site came and they offered you a five-year deal, really, Kim? Nine, just seriously, five just, years at nine million a year, what would you do?
0: Yep,
1: <laughs> no, not gonna, not gonna go there, Kim. Just keep moving on.
2: Five years, nine million a year, what are you doing?
1: I'm not, not talking about that.
2: He's not working for us. I know that much. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, but I I think that uh, um, if Kalen, um, if Harbaugh leaves, I can promise you that uh, Michigan will dive into it a little bit and try to talk with him, whether he would listen or not. But, you know, if they offer him $9 million, because he's still got a lot of family back in the Midwest, I don't think he would leave. But when people throw the kind of money around that Michigan would be offering – you listen. You have to listen. That doesn't mean you're going to take it, but you're going to listen.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course you're going to listen. You're always going to listen, but that's why you have agents. Agents are the ones that do most of the listening for you on those kinds of things. And I I don't have any reason to doubt that he's got a good agent that can figure out what the legitimate offers are from ones that, uh, you know, they can use for leverage, for instance. And it would be it would be hard it would be hard for DeBoer, I think, to use Michigan as leverage for a couple different reasons, but mostly because he just got paid. So I, well, he I doesn't
2: seem like the kind of guy who would use leverage.
0: Well, I don't, I don't. I mean, again, you're talking about a guy who was literally just a head coach for two years at Fresno State and bolted for the first big opportunity he got. So I mean, yes, we can say based on our personal interactions with Kalen DeBoer. That he seems way too down to earth and way too normal, quote unquote, for him to get caught up in that, in all of that kind of coaching stuff. But he's still a head coach at the end of the day, and he's still got a family that he needs to provide for. Can you imagine?
1: Oh, go. I'm sorry, Chris.
0: Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and if Michigan somehow doubles or triples what Washington is willing to pay him, why wouldn't you listen? Can you imagine
1: the Michigan people going from a personality like Jim Harbaugh? to a personality like Kalen DeBoer. They would love that. They would. Oh, for love sure. it.
0: Well, but yeah. you got to remember Harbaugh still is a quote unquote Michigan man. Yeah. I mean, he even though he is from California, he's he, at the at the end of the day, he still understands that culture as well as anybody. Um, but, you know, would a guy from South Dakota understand what's going on in Michigan? You know, as someone who was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest and has certain ideas about what the Midwest is all about, based on my relations and based on my family. Yeah, I I don't see any reason why he couldn't develop. But I think to me, that has a lot more to do with the board just being extremely down to earth and relatable more than anything. I think he could su- I think he could succeed anywhere he
2: goes. And Chris, you put the contract stuff together. Um, what is he at four mil? four mil now?
0: Um, I don't know. He got a straight, he basically got either a million or 1.1 just right off the top. Um, so I don't, you know, I mean, that's what he got right now. So I think he's up to um, like 4.3 or 4.5. I can't remember what exactly it is.
2: And then there was also some verbiage in there that they would, they could reevaluate or, um, address compensation, um, down the road too.
0: Well, and also he's getting, he's getting incentive, getting, he's getting incentivized for staying. So he's getting, I think, five hundred thousand dollars the first time, five hundred five hundred thousand dollars two years later, and then a million, I think by twenty twenty eight, if he sticks. So he could get upwards of two million dollars just by doing nothing more than just sticking around.
2: I'm trying to remember. I know you guys hate it when I do this, but his buyout was six mil?
0: Uh his buyout initially was uh twelve million, which it will continue to be twelve million through the end of january 2025 and then it goes to 10 million the following year seven the year after that and then the final year of his contract the buyout's 2.5 million
2: yeah 12 million to a school like uh michigan yeah it's all right they can do it so uh want to move on to basketball but anything other than football that we need to cover
1: well, uh just uh, just a real quick touch on recruiting. I know a lot of people are wondering about possible additions, especially quarterback portal quarterbacks. Washington's going to add somebody before spring ball. I I I just have that that gut sense that they're going to figure out somebody whether it's a high school kid or a or a portal guy. You're probably looking at a portal guy because I don't think I think they're done with high school recruiting for 2023 but um you know just that's something to keep an eye on and then uh, we're already starting to work on 2024 i'll be having some lists come out here in a little bit uh talking to you guys about some of the top prospects the top prospects in state guys i've seen quite a bit of guys i've talked to so just stay tuned for that
2: Basketball game last night, Chris. Uh, that was a must-win. Uh, it really was. I know some, you know, somebody asked Hopkins last night about that if that was a must-win game, and he kind of brushed it off. But a loss last night would not have been good. But uh, good win for the basketball team last night. They looked totally different. They actually, uh, the ball movement was fast. They attacked on offense, and uh, they seemed to play a lot faster on offense.
0: They did. I mean, they popped the ball a little bit more, a little bit more energy. It didn't start out that way. I mean, they got down 7-0 early and Hopka co- had to call a timeout less than three minutes into the game. But once that, once he got them settled down a little bit and just kind of got them playing the way they were supposed to play and the way they've been practicing, apparently, um, it was all hands on deck and and uh, you know 20 assists in the game, which was the second most all year. Um, so that tells you I think it was 20 assists on 33 main baskets. So there was a lot of good transition, a lot of good lobs up to uh, Braxton Mia. I think he had eight dunks, 21 points overall. So they really had uh, a lot of things working on their uh, offense, both inside and out. And, yes, it was against Stanford, who hasn't won in the Pac-12 yet. So clearly that win had to happen. But to do it in the way that they did it, being up by as many as, I think, 24 points before eventually winning by 17, um, was the kind of resounding win that they needed to kind of wipe that entire five-game losing streak, uh, that that whole taste out of their mouths. So now they can really start to move forward. If they can beat California on Saturday, now all of a sudden you're starting to talk about a little bit of a streak. Go to the Mountain teams, and then obviously it comes back, and then they've got to play the Arizona teams again. So it it never ends but at least they've at least they took care of business last night in the way they needed to and they can kind of push on from there.
2: Yeah, a couple things I you know and I always have to be careful how I say this cuz everybody's going to go Kim's making excuses for the basketball team but it, what really hurt this team is the identity of this team was going to be the toughness that Frank Kepnong and Noah Williams brought. Uh camp Frank Kepnong, uh I don't know if you picked this up last night or not Chris. They were wearing um t-shirts that said play like frank and for those who haven't really had a chance to see frank kepnong play or frank kepnong been around him at all um he's he's a rare human being he really really is a rare guy um extremely intelligent he's majoring in computer science focusing on robotics he's a really smart guy He's really passionate about everything that he does. He's an absolute, and when Mike Hopkin calls him a warrior, he means that he's got a lot of Aziz engi in him. He just doesn't back down for anything, that toughness that he brings. And he's hurt, he's out for the year, but he brings it on the bench. And in the huddles, when they were about to go out on the court, Frank Kepnong is the guy in there. He never stops. He's coaching. He's bringing the guys up. And the other guy that they lost is Noah Williams, and he only played a little bit last night, and they lost Noah. And Noah uh, is the closest thing to Gary Payton that I've seen since Will Conroy played on this team. He talks and talks and talks and talks and getting gets in guys' head. and. His knee started swelling up again last night. He's not 100%. And we saw really good things from the uh, two freshmen last night, and Keon Menefield and Corin Johnson. But those two guys are built differently. Neither one of them is very big. then They get pushed around and physically abused on the defensive side of the ball. But if this team is going to make a run, they really need to get something out of Noel Williamson. Again, he's not close to 100%. He can play, but he's not 100%. His knee started swelling up last night.
0: He did. He only played five minutes, but the bottom line is, is, as long as they're in the zone and those guys are up top. We're talking about Menefield and Corn Johnson. You know, you, you it's not like you can hide them a little bit, but you don't have to stick them in the middle of the paint and do all that kind of stuff. And and it doesn't really matter anyways, because if you notice, Kim Menefield will just go in there and just try to out jump guys for the board anyways. That's just kind of his nature and so and and clearly, we saw Johnson and how he likes to mix it up too. He got in into the mix a few times last night and probably needed to be calmed down a little bit. Um, but man, they they combined for twenty six points, seven rebounds, nine assists, and seven steals. I mean, two true freshmen. If you're gonna do that, you can get away with Noah Williams having to to rehab his knee and get it back in better shape because there's no doubt he he, I don't know if they need to sit him or if he can only play a few minutes a night but he's he's got to do something to get his knee better because he's clearly not 100% but even guys like like Jamal Bay and PJ Fuller you know they they contributed last night they had like nine assists themselves combined though that's when you know the ball's really moving and the ball's making the decision as to who's going to score but if you have to rely on Johnson and Menefield to really help you in all facets not just scoring but in terms of all the other things that they can do I think they showed last night they could they're up to up to the challenge.
2: Yeah, I think the big thing last night with Fuller and Jamal is uh, they valued the basketball. They have been turnover machines, and last night they weren't turning it over on stupid stuff like they had before. Um, You know, PJ was careless with the basketball in the passing. Jamal Bay liked to get down low and just put his shoulder into people and just bully them out of the way, and that wasn't working. Uh, He was getting called for offensive fouls. So, um, you know, good win for the basketball team. Tomorrow uh, against Cal, 3 o'clock tip-off, competing with the Seahawks, so Uh, That ought to be interesting. So, um, you know, well,
0: Well, Seahawks Seahawks games in San Francisco. So there's still no reason why there's a thing called a
2: DVR that you can use. So, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Anything else we need to cover before we wrap it up, guys?
1: No, unless people want uh, to know that you got to get down to North Lake Tavern and get that last slice of pizza uh, before the 31st.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Kim's not a fan.
2: It's just kind of like I said, the last, you know, you go once and you have a bad experience. That's cool. But you know, you go back again and just, I don't like soggy limp pizza crust. It was just, they put so much stuff on it. It was just like pasty. So maybe it was just me. Maybe they didn't want me to come back. So I would that shock anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Wrap it up for us, Chris fetters.
0: Uh, yeah, I've never had any bad experience at the North Lake, but you know, obviously opinions may vary. Um, yeah, I just think that overall it is it is kind of funny and um, I guess maybe fans might see it counterintuitive that there's actually more news that happens in the offseason than it happens during the season. But the season's very scripted. We know exactly when we're talking to the head coach, when we're talking to the players, you know, when we need to do this, that, and the other thing for the media. And then the game comes and the game's very... The game itself may not be predictable, but our coverage is going to be pretty predictable. We have game wraps, we have all this other stuff that we do. What we don't know is when the season's over, when people are going to announce going into the portal, when guys are going to sign you know, nece- or, or make commitments necessarily with schools, when they're going to decide if they're going to sign earlier, if they're going to wait until February, like Tayshawn Lyons, for instance. So much unpredictability in the offseason because that's when coaches and players have time now to sit down and think about their specific situations and what they want to do with their immediate and long-term futures. And so that's why, you know, having these types of podcasts are important to kind of keep people kind of up to date with what's going on because there so many things can happen. And we always joke that usually it happens when we're all out and about and doing things. Well, Roma Dunze announces on Thursday afternoon and I happen to be in the middle of a plane flight and, you know, it's just the way it works. I mean, I, I turn my phone back on and all of a sudden I find out a and now's I'm like, well, thank God Scott was around, <laughs> you know? So it's, These are the types of situations that you have to deal with in the offseason. But right now, boy, if you look at, you know, with Odunzi coming back, that means all those guys that had a lot of uh, NFL draft buzz are coming back. When you talk about uh, Troy Fautanu, Jalen McMillan, Odunzi, Trice, Zion Tupola-Fatui. I mean, if you're Kalen DeBoer and you're Courtney Morgan and you're, you know, heading up the recruiting department, those are your biggest recruits right now. Those are your biggest signings. And so to have all those guys come back, including Michael Penix, it's a uh, it's a huge deal for them.
2: And Krista, I'm pleading guilty. But uh, on the Sam Heward thing, I will absolutely confess that in order to make it on time, I made it back to my house uh, in order to get onto the Zoom call right as it started. But uh, I drove as a single in the carpool lane the whole way going 80 miles an hour to make it back home because that's usually the way things work. Right.
0: Yes, that's
2: true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Scott Eklund, wrap it up.
1: Uh yeah um you know just getting you guys caught up a lot of stuff that that we had to talk about about portal and all that different stuff it's it's still um you know the lester of eleven and two is not gonna come off of this program for for a while and um you know Michael Penix returning Heisman Trophy quarterback uh, candidate um is gonna have Washington in the in the limelight for the entire off season and and I think it's gonna be great for this program. Um, as we as we kind of move forward. So, you know, it, it's there's still a lot of stuff going on Uh 2020. We're kind of in that weird period between 2023 2024 recruiting cycles and everything. I mean, 2024, there's been a ton of offers out already but they're doing more evaluations. They're going to have junior days coming up. There's going to be visitors to campus. Uh big-time guy who just decommitted from, what's his name, Aaron Butler? I can't remember it off the top of my head, but yeah. uh, he's going to be visiting um, the University of Washington later this month. Um, and, and you know, I, I mean, he decommitted from USC, so he's obviously a very talented athlete. And I, and I think that Washington is going to be in the mix for a lot more high-end guys than they were maybe at this point last year.
2: Hey, Chris, just real quick, I forgot to address earlier in the podcast, if you can just kind of give people an update on the numbers. Uh, 85 is the maximum they can have on scholarship. With the guys coming in and the guys leaving, can you just give us a quick update on where they're at number-wise?
0: Well, before Sam Hewitt announced his decision, they were at 88 with all the guys signing. Now, that doesn't mean all 88 guys are enrolled at Washington right now because that can't happen because there are going to be some of the freshman class that will enroll in spring. There will be some that will enroll for the leap program in the summer in June. But right now the total numbers as they look when they enter fall camp would be at 88, which means they would need three more players to leave before they'd be at the 85 number. Well, with Sam Heward leaving, that's 87 now. Now, if we're assuming Tayshon Lyons signs with Washington in February, that goes back to '88. So, really, if you're operating under the assumption that Lyons has signed or is going to sign, um, then you have to assume that there's probably going to be at least three players that would have to leave, uh, and that's on top of the nine that have already made the decision to enter the portal.
2: Yeah. So, and just looking at the numbers, you know, we're not going to mention any names. It's pretty easy for us to it's safe to say that they'll be fine and three would be the number right now that they would need attrition from. And I'm guessing that they may add at least two more guys to the roster. Is that what you think, Scott? Maybe? Maybe.
1: Yeah, I I could see one. Well, quarterback Um, for sure. Yep. Yep. And that's really the only place that I I can almost guarantee something's going to happen there. I think other than that, I think if the right, uh, defensive back shows up, you know, right, either corner or safety or a defensive tackle shows up that they really, really like and have and feel like they need to have, and they have a good shot at him. I think that's another uh, thing that they'll look at. But right now, I think washington's pretty pretty happy with where they're sitting and they want to see what they have this spring before they decide to go uh, any deeper with the with the portal.
2: All right. Thanks for updating the numbers, Chris. I know I kind of blindsided you on that. So no, that's fine. All right. But right uh,
0: now, just to make sure people understand, they're two over if all the guys stayed and they had more guys. It would actually be end up being three over. They'd be at 88, assuming that they're going to sign a portal quarterback to fill the spot left by Heward, which I agree with Scott. They absolutely have to because they're only at two scholarship quarterbacks right now. So yeah, well, really, functionally speaking, they're they're still at 88. They need three three guys to leave.
2: Yeah, so uh, 88 plus 2 will still equal 85. It always equals 85, always does. But um, hey, just a couple quick notes. <clears throat> Thanks to the, I can't remember the poster put out on the board. He found a, a thing out on the uh, online about uh, an improvement going on up at UW with the LED lighting uh, for, it looks like both Heck Ed and um, Husky Stadium. And for those who don't know what it means, when we had the power outage, last season um, it takes those the I, I don't know the name of the lights but those things take 15-20 minutes to warm up once that they have gone off the new LED lighting will be immediately. They can turn on and off, and I know that it drove some of the people crazy down at UCLA looking at the lights and what they do with the light shows, turning them on and off, and having the light displays after touchdowns and things. But uh, that will be possible now with the new LED lighting that they're proposing installing at Husky Stadium and in Heck Ed. It'll probably also add to the pregame um, introductions at uh, Heck Ed. But the big thing is the lighting on the field. When you've got those LED lightings, it's dramatically brighter down on the field. Uh, not only for uh, guys that are uh, taking pictures down on the sidelines and for TV coverage, but just playing in that where you have that much more light, it makes a big difference down on the field. So uh, we'll talk. try to talk to Chip him over the next couple of days and uh, get a little bit more information on that. But when I talked to Jen Cohen down at the UCLA game, I asked what the chances of Washington could get the LED lighting. She kind of gave me the eye and goes, 800 to a million dollars is what it's going to cost. So, um, you know, th- I don't know if somebody wrote a check or if they found it between the seat cushions, but expect that. And then just also on an operational, just on what's going on on the site, um, one of the big things that we have going for us at dogman.com is we have over two decades built one of the best communities in college football out on the site, um, running the message boards, um, There's a lot of awesome stuff that goes on out there, Uh, but their old business adage, 10% of the people suck 90% of the time, energy, and resources out of it. Moderating the message boards is challenging. It's difficult. I think we do it as good as anybody out there. Uh, It gets really, really difficult, and it just seems like every year we have to, especially after the first of the year, after the holidays, I don't know what it is, but, boy, people just can get in foul moods. It's hardcore football, it's hardcore basketball, and it's hardcore recruiting. And some of the people out there who can't control themselves and just want to bring nonsense or fight and argue or having a tough time disagreeing respectfully, we're going to do our best to cut that nonsense out. We want to, the uh, boards to be a place where people can come and uh, have a conversation. It's kind of like when you walk into a room and you've got a bunch of angry people or you've got people that are just at each other's throat. Nobody wants to be around that We'll do our best. Like I promise you this. We'll do our best to eliminate that. We have people who post and we have people who read. Not everybody should be posting. So we'll do our best to accommodate that and get the boards to a civil manner that you guys can really enjoy and not have to go through a lot of nonsense. And I think we've done a pretty good job over the years of doing that. But it seems like a couple of times a year we have to address that and push back a little bit moderating sucks. It's kind of like we always say being the boss sucks. Being the moderator sucks. Don't make me be the boss. Don't make me moderate, you know, and everything will be fine. So uh, hopefully I haven't gone too overboard on that, guys. So anything you want to add to that? no
1: you you, you said, said that there there, are, there uh, are people who should be reading and who should be who should be posting and some who shouldn't be posting well some shouldn't be reading either <laughs> they can't help themselves but uh we're going to do our best to make this a community where everybody can share their opinions um and without having people attack uh them and um you know there are certain people who maybe just shouldn't Shouldn't be posting, as Kim said. So uh, hopefully that's not you, but if if you are, um, realize that that's on you and not on
0: us. And yeah. also, just just to add real quick to Scott's comment, the the people that shouldn't be reading that we're not talking about Washington fans.
2: Okay, that's no.
0: <laughs> so that just we just want to be real clear about that.
2: Oh yeah. I, I'm telling you, like I said, you know, people have no idea how difficult it is to moderate message boards. And, you know, when it, uh, I I swear to God, Elon Musk should hire us and let us moderate Twitter. I think we do a lot better job than those guys. We're open oh for offers, gosh. Elon. No,
1: <laughs> yeah, it better, that would be a six figure minimum offer.
2: No, it'd, just be, a lot more, it'd be a lot more than that. <laughs> You know why? Because we would need armed security. Trust me, we would need armed security. So, hey, uh, you know, uh, for all of us at dogman.com, it's going to be a wild year. Stay tuned. I'm Kim Grenells along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs! You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7.